0: for joining us for the first episode of our series, Reproductive Health Equity in Pharmacy Practice. Over the course of four episodes, we'll be covering a range of reproductive health topics alongside pharmacists, activists, and community members across the nation. I'm Brianna Luna, a college student and community researcher for Central Valley Voices for Access. We're an academic-centered research team focused on expanding access to family planning care, in Central Valley pharmacies and removing the stigma around reproductive health. You can learn more about us on our Instagram page at Central Valley Voices for Access. I'm joined by Sally Raffi, who's a pharmacist specialist at UC San Diego Health and founder of Birth Control Pharmacists. Dr. Raffi has a long record of research and advocacy in the field of reproductive health. In this episode, we'll be defining health equity and identify factors that contribute to the inability to achieve this potential as it relates to reproductive health. And we'll also be understanding and addressing the resulting outcomes of reproductive health inequalities. I'm happy to now introduce our first featured speaker, Dr. Vibuti Arya. Tell our listeners a bit about yourself.
1: My name is Vibuti Arya. I am a pharmacist, professor, mom and an activist at heart. I got into doing equity work because I was introduced to social justice and public health very early on before my pharmacy career. And I've carried that lens with me just recognizing how marginalized populations have thrived despite all of the obstacles that we've had to face in our lives. and that not only furthers my spirit to do the work but also inspires me to remove obstacles for other generations to carry on work and progress forward. It's really important for me to build a collective around this work and not look at this as an individual fight. I am deeply committed to this work and I hope that we can make incremental change so that these collective collaborations and the connections that we make, the networks that we create, can move this work forward and help our world. Can we start with just
0: what health equity is? Do you mind defining that? What factors influence
2: health equity within communities? The way that we define health equity in the general understanding is that any individual should be able to attain the highest level of health they can without any socially determined factor. Right, and so I say socially determined factor very specifically because we now know basically social determinants of health are, or really of illness, um, if we want to be frank about it, is everything that we do from you know where we live, work, eat, play, um, where we walk, commute, etc. All of those things have a bearing on our health. Right, all of those things impact not only our education, our health literacy. Um, our attainment of health and the quality of health, the access to health. So all of these determinants that we say impact longevity, impact morbidity, impact mortality, and health equity is really the attainment of that highest level of health without any factors present to impact that.
3: Well, I think most pharmacists would agree with that and we'd all love to you know support our patients and guide them you know tor- towards that uh, best health. Uh, what do you think is important for pharmacists to know about this topic and, and how can we incorporate some of these concepts into our practice?
2: I think that a lot of pharmacists are very uniquely positioned, particularly when it comes to the community, to understand medication behavior, to understand, frankly, social determinants and the things that are impacting their communities, their patients. A lot of pharmacies And I'm thinking about the community pharmacists, um, particularly independently owned mom and pop shops who, you know, have seen families grow up, have seen their communities through generations. And a lot of pharmacists, as they're interfacing with a lot of these patients, have unique insights into things that can impact their community health, their patient's health. So we're talking about yes, one-on-one individual patients as well, because you can understand medication use behavior. You can understand the trends in a community. You can understand what questions patients have and what they're concerned about. You know, is there food security? Is transportation an issue? Are co-pays an issue? Is adherence an issue? Are people on many medications and they are having trouble integrating that medication use within their day? Um, you know, are a lot of times there are uh, stigmatized conditions that patients come to pharmacies to talk to them about that they may not reveal to their families, to their physicians, even to other care professionals. And I think pharmacists have a very unique role to play in that, not only when it comes to the individual patient health and kind of understanding the holistic way of a patient and, and all of the decisions and the factors that go into their decision making when it comes to medication use, but also as community health, so population health, right? what we traditionally think about as public health, more of that sort of trending population health Uh, population impact, looking at aggregate sort of behaviors, right? And so I think that there's two pronged approaches. One is obviously the individual health that pharmacists can impact day in and day out with their interactions, but also taking a step back to understand the population health of their communities and figuring out where are those gaps that they can help identify and frankly fill through their expertise as a healthcare professional in a community. You know, in New York City, we did a a program where we got sort of pharmacists to be trained to be a little bit more youth friendly in their reproductive, um, you know, education. And it, it's it's not, you know, I say it's not rocket science, but really, rocket science isn't rocket science if you know what rocket science is. So um, the idea here being that it's not an, an onerous sort of undertaking; it's just conversing and being friendly and, and talking to people who come in. Um, again, beyond that medication use, it's taking a couple of moments to say. Is there anything else that you have questions about? What other questions do you have? What can I help you with? What can I help you discuss? Because as we said with health equity, all of those social determinants of health ultimately impact patients' decision-making. And so pharmacists understanding their community needs, um, again, have have a very different view and I think a very unique positioning to be able to serve their communities, both on an individual basis, but also on a community basis.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Definitely as the most accessible healthcare provider in the community, of course, uh, we are uniquely positioned to be able to, to really link a lot of those different services and, and also to know the needs of the community because they're right there in those communities, um, working kind of side by side. Hopefully the staff reflects the community and, and all that. So this is such a great opportunity there. Uh, you mentioned some services or, or topics rather that may be stigmatized and people may not feel comfortable going elsewhere. And so maybe they they are popping into their local pharmacy to have those conversations or obtain those services. Um, so that that definitely makes me think about reproductive health and whether we're talking about sexually transmitted infections or contraception or you know anything related to that. Um, what are your, your thoughts around that? Is that something that you think again is, is teachable? It's really easy like some of the youth friendly work you've done in New York City where we can teach pharmacists to uh, you know the, the information they need to get comfortable
2: talking about those topics? Um, I do think that there's quite an opportunity for pharmacists to learn certainly just so their knowledge is up to date and they're comfortable with the material but also understand some of the implicit things that are happening, right? And this is where a lot of health equity uh, principles come in where we're talking about implicit biases, where we're really talking about vulnerability and understanding as a healthcare professional that there may be things that I don't understand necessarily because I don't have those lived experiences that my patients have. I may not live in the communities. Sure, I may be serving in the community, but that doesn't mean I live in the communities that my patients live in. And so we all just have to remember and understand that even those of us who may have once had those lived experiences and may have moved on from from those neighborhoods or from those circumstances and adopted a different kind of privilege in our life, that we have a duty and an obligation to keep that sentiment and that sense alive and that humility that we don't know everything and that we don't know what other people are experiencing. And so I think at the core of that is sort of the questions, right? Instead of only... Feeling like we're the authoritarian voice to convey information and impart information in a very—that's um, a very different power dynamic than actually being humble enough to say, "I need to understand better about my community," and sort of putting yourself in that situation where it's—it's—it's it's, it's up to me to learn and to listen and not just give information because that information may be a moot point because our patients are, you know, thinking about a different thing or have a different kind of question. So I think that you know, specifically when we're talking about reproductive health, um, it's very personal and there are lots of decisions, there's lots of um, thoughts and vulnerabilities that our patients have, you know, that I I think that it's really a privilege, frankly, to be serving um, patients in that capacity. It's a privilege to be part of that dynamic where patients are able to talk to us, to tell us things, but also that you know, we respond in an empathetic and compassionate. Frankly, go beyond empathy, right? And we respond in a compassionate manner to actually um, be there for them. And again, that doesn't mean only giving information. That also means getting information and sort of learning and and meeting them where they are.
3: As pharmacists, you know, we're trained to have all the knowledge, help analyze, evaluate situations, and come to the best answer or the best choice, the first line agent, or, you know, uh, it's such a shift for us to think about, we don't know what's best for a patient and they know what's best and, and we're just here to, you know, assist with that.
2: Well and that I think again right is the key because it's again not the authoritarian example where I am just here to impart knowledge or give something and that somebody else is magically going to just do it and take it it's more about here's all the training that I've had as a pharmacist how can I tailor that to your situation isn't that the center of like patient centered care right it's it's taking what I have and not just saying you're an algorithm to me but saying how do I take all of that stuff and cater it to this patient so that it can best suit their needs. Not what I think is best, not what I see as the right answer.
3: You've introduced so many important topics and considerations this is obviously not something that we can just spend a short amount of time on and walk away feeling that much more, you know, having that humility and, and feeling more uh, competent and ready to serve our, our patients the way that they deserve. Where can pharmacists go or what can they do to learn more to kind of dive deeper into this, into this topic?
2: So I think just understanding how to self um, learn a little bit, Google, right? <laughs> or just, just, Search for some of these resources that have long been out there. I think that it's important to um, come at it from an understanding of what do you know and what you don't know. So getting familiar with the terms, getting familiar with the community aspects and the community needs are important. Um, But also I think just a understanding that it's a journey and not a destination. Understanding that this is going to take a lot. It takes a lifetime, frankly, right? This is what being human is about, is just learning and unlearning. So I think part of that is. Um, very intellectually, we can intellectualize this topic and everything becomes a theory. But in order for us to actually move into action, we have to not only familiarize ourselves with the actual terms and knowledge and processes, but also identify opportunities where we need to unlearn our our own narratives. And I think that's really important for patient care, because again, um, I know this sounds a, a lot like therapy, but it kind of is in that it's not it's not about me as the healthcare professional. It's not about me and what I think and what I judge and what I hold or the decisions that I would make for for my own body, frankly. It's about serving a need. It's about serving a patient. And so understanding where they're coming from and what they need um, is important so that they can, so that pharmacists can, again, not only deepen their knowledge, but also uh, identify where they have the gaps in that knowledge Um, and identify where those biases lie so that we can kind of see them coming, right? We can see it coming when we're like, oh, that's my judgment coming right here. Um, So yeah, so I think that looking through a lot of the resources that are out there, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation has some great um, resources, Kaiser Family Foundation, Aspen Institute, there's just, they have a good list of terms you should know. So I think that's really practical and really useful. There's tons of information. I think part of it is just gonna be battling the narratives um, that we all have and sort of unlearning what we thought was reality and what we're now, um, for, for some, now starting to see what the actual reality is. Having a pharmacist or the power of a healthcare professional as a pharmacist just normalize some of the emotions around reproductive issues or, or, excuse me, reproductive health is so important because I think part of it, part of the stigma and the perpetuation of that stigma um, is that we don't normalize just emotions and how people feel around this. So I think that that's another important aspect of the humility is to normalize just how people, the vulnerability and how people are feeling around this. So I'll, I'll just stop there, but I, I do think it's a duty. I, th- I think it's an obligation for pharmacists to connect with the patients and and pay attention. We're
0: happy to introduce our second speaker for today, Dima Cueto. Thank you so much, Dima, for being here. How did you get into health equity work? Can you speak on a little bit of your background? Yeah, sure.
4: So, you know, it started when I was a pharmacy student many years ago, and I got involved working with Um, a social service agency in an underserved neighborhood uh, in Chicago that was largely Arab um, American refugee and immigrant women. Um, It was through the Schweitzer Fellowship and since then I kind of became really interested in doing more beyond kind of pharmacy and actually make having an impact (laughs) because I witnessed kind of firsthand how many people and communities really don't have the basic needs they need before we try to manage their medications. That's like, you know, not a priority if you don't have uh, insurance or if you don't have food on the table just to, to feed your families. My, my initial work focused on pharmacy access and pharmacy deserts. And we focused on Chicago um, because it is the most segregated. It's one of the most segregated cities in the country but it's also where I, I lived. Um, And from that I became interested in policies that aim to expand pharmacists prescribing and prescriptive authority and my hypothesis was that you know if pharmacies aren't really available and accessible in neighborhoods that need them what good is a policy. um, In addressing health equity, especially access issues if it only it's premised on having access to pharmacies right so it brought me to a few topics, one being contraceptive, contraceptive prescribing legislation in California, um, particularly LA, just given the burden of unintended pregnancies and adolescent pregnancies and teen birth rates in Los Angeles County, which statistically accounts for one of the largest. It's, it's, it accounts for, I think 10% of all women, uh, Hispanic women in the country live in LA County in terms of those that need public funding for, con- for contraception. So it was a priority kind of county to examine for that reason, but also because California was the first state to expand pharmacists prescribed contraception to anyone of any age. So kind of potentially lifting the burden or barrier for adolescents in accessing preventative contraception. And so that was really the motivation in terms of the policy and landscape for focusing on Los Angeles County. Um, but what we found was that, unfortunately, areas that really need more pharmacies lack them, and areas that need more pharmacists prescribing of contraceptives lack them. Uh, you know, that that aside from just having lower rates of, you know, pharmacists prescribing overall in, in LA County, uh, which is at, 10, you know, about 10%. Of all pharmacies, actually provide that service, and when they do, they even when they do, they still ask for IDs and have impose age restrictions when they shouldn't. Um, that was about seventy-five percent of all pharmacies. So again, just illustrating the limitations of certain policies if they're not fully or equitably implemented, and if they do not address kind of pharmacy access barriers, right? And by that, I mean the pharmacies aren't even available. So, you know, we recommend things like home delivery and uh, other avenues potentially to get contraception to the people that need them and not necessarily assume people are gonna go get them at a pharmacy that may not be available or accessible to them. You know, the reason why it matters is that, you know, there's a lot of policies that are being implemented. It's not just around contraception, right? But just expanding pharmacists prescribing, which is great. But in terms of its impact on equity, it could be quite limited and if anything it may worsen inequities in health especially um, <clears throat> for uh, you know birth control access i mean it's also nalaxone it's even chronic some chronic medications that are uh, pharmacists in some states are authorized to prescribe if certain pharmacies implement them and those pharmacies are more likely to be in more affluent uh, neighborhoods or neighborhoods that have fewer minorities, then what good is, does it do for minority health and health equity, right? If anything, it may worsen disparities.
3: The code to claim credit for the CPE program is RX743. That's RX743. <laughs> So you bring up a really good point about the gap potentially widening between different communities. And I would imagine that it's important to continue serving patients in whatever way we can. So we would want to continue to advance pharmacist scope to reach patients and improve health where we can, but we want to continue efforts to, to reach all communities. And so what, what do those efforts look like in order to extend those
4: policies and make them a reality for all communities? So, you know, I, I think it's hard to, I think when we know there's inequities, we need to target them. I don't, I don't think existing policies are necessarily the best approach, um, especially if we're targeting reducing equity. I mean, there's different things, right? If we're, if we're trying to improve access overall, that that doesn't actually improve or reduce inequities in access or use or whatever. Um, I I think we need a target. And if we don't, we will worsen disparities. Um, And it's about priorities, right? So you can have a policy that tries to target and improve access to everyone, but that's not what works and it's proven in health kind of disparities research. Uh, If you wanna reduce inequities, you have to target them. You have to target the root cause of those inequities. You can't depend on you know, targeting all communities. You know, that just doesn't work in general.
3: I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on what pharmacists who are in practice, you know, doing their best every day, going in for their shifts in these community settings, what can they do to try to incorporate some of the findings that you found in your research and what we know overall about inequities and social determinants of
4: health? So, I mean, I think pharmacists practicing in the community right now um, should not deny prescriptions for people that need them uh, at a minimum, right? If they can offer services, they should. Uh, and they, you know, obviously that goes with, goes with you know, ensuring that medications are safe, effective, and there's no harm being done. But I think the unnecessary refusal to fill, whether it's for birth control, um, whether emergency or, you know, oral contraceptive pills, Um, or other medications, you know, that should be avoided, um, when possible. And, you know, I would encourage, you know, people behind the pharmacists behind the counter to think about their customers, their patients, in kind of more holistic sense, in terms of where they come from, and why they're there. And it may not be easy for someone to come back again, right, to get their medication. So, and I, I used to practice for many years. So, you know, in terms of prioritizing, even dispensing, right, Um, and verifying and reviewing, if you see someone there that you know, or you asked, and they told you they took a bus to get there, you know, they should be priority. And you should avoid telling them, for example, to come in a few days or come later that evening. Otherwise, you may risk them not coming back at all.
3: Yeah, that that seems like really a good suggestion and something that can be Easily implemented in in the busy practice of our pharmacists, just being mindful of trying to meet our patients' needs when they're there and not relying on the fact that they'll be able to come back. That's one simple thing they can probably start considering uh, even more so than they already are today. So thank you for that.
0: You mentioned working in urban settings. Can you speak on a little bit of the characteristics that make these cities urban and what kind of services are available?
4: So, you know, I I focus on urban because I'm interested in minority health and health equity. Not that there isn't, you know, minorities don't live in rural areas, a lot of minorities do, right? Um, Especially when you talk about Native Americans and Pacific Islanders. But, you know, I think I focus on urban because there's a misnomer um, that there's an overabundance of resources and what I try to uh, kind of uncover, uh, identify is that that's actually not true when we think about different neighborhoods in, in, in within urban areas. So, you know, if you just look at LA County, right? Overall, you see that pharmacies are growing in general, right? But they're also closing and many neighborhoods don't have them. And that's where inequity exists, right? When you have kind of a, a misdistribution or maldistribution of resources across neighborhoods, and the key differentiation isn't is location, but it's demographics of that location. And what we find, and what others have found, is that it's mind, you know low-income minority neighborhoods, right? It's kind of the recurring theme. Okay, if you want to know where not to find a pharmacy, you can just say in South LA. <laughs> right? That you might find a few, but much fewer than if you went to West LA, right? Like it's just, and the same with Chicago and the same with um, other cities across the country to varying degrees. Uh, So, you know, the focus on urban, it's, you know, it's not like pitting urban versus rural. It's just in terms, I mean, rural neighborhoods have huge issues in terms of access that affects everything. Um, And there are, are disparities between rural and urban, right? Um, but urban areas are different because they're not recognized and underserved in general, uh, especially when it comes to pharmacies. So, one of my goals, you know, 10 years ago was to show that these disparities in medication access and use that we talk about all the time um, are due to s- some geogra- geographic or uh, place based factor. That could be related to pharmacy access, and my research to date has proved that. That you know, we can't just expand insurance and make drugs affordable to people. We can't just expand pharmacists prescribing. We need to make sure pharmacies are accessible in these neighborhoods, and that matters in urban areas because people often think that there's too many pharmacies in urban areas. Um, And my response to that is yes, that's true in general overall but when you break down those urban areas by neighborhoods and census tracts, you see there's stark differences by race and segregation. What I'm hearing there is
3: that pharmacies are extremely critical in the health of communities and people need access to these services. So
4: I think- Right, exactly, and we see that now with COVID, right? Everyone's like, let's partner with pharmacies, but we still don't, we actually see worsening disparities. It's a great natural experiment of what we're talking about here that even though we're partnering with pharmacies to deliver vaccines um, historically, but now COVID vaccine, we actually see worsening race-based vaccination rates uh, since that those kind of partnerships began several months ago. We don't see improvements. Again, to my point that if you don't target the root cause of the inequities, you're gonna worsen them. Uh, and we see it now with the COVID vaccination rates.
3: What can some of the larger pharmacy corporations, some of the larger chains that probably have a presence throughout states, throughout communities, throughout regions, is there something that they could be doing to address the root cause of the inequities as they roll out programs like these vaccinations?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they could do more kind of in-home type services. They could open pharmacies, right, even if they're not, kind of good business in the traditional sense. They could make it more a charity arm. I don't know, right? But there is a sense of social responsibility that large pharmacy organizations could and should take on um, by addressing this this gap in access. Um, And whether it's extending their services to neighborhoods by through mobile delivery or in-home services. And, you know, I, I think that is a short-term solution. I do not think it's a long-term solution. I think long-term they could open up pharmacies where otherwise their business models tell them not to um, because of the need these communities face. Um, and that could be done in, these are the kind of partnerships that could be done with the federal and state governments and even kind of local governments. I
3: love that idea. We'll leave that as food for thought for anyone listening. Yeah. I think you've given us a lot to think about and a lot for for folks listening to think about here. There's lots of work to do in this area, and it's great that you're you're looking at this. You know the, there's all the folks on the front lines providing the care, but we have to study what's happening and if we're we're meeting our objectives and reaching, everyone in our communities. So I appreciate all the great work you're doing. We'll be following along to see, you know, what else you uncover for us and other recommendations you have for our practices.
4: Thank you Thank so you. much. Thanks, Sally. Yep.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this important conversation. We hope you'll join us for future episodes. Pharmacists who would like continuing pharmacy education credit for participating in this program Please return to the podcast page on birthcontrolpharmacist.com to claim your credit.